Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Bridge Trapier. And this is episode 28 of History on the Table. Rich, how's the weekend going? Oh, it's going good. Uh, feels like summer here. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's not like oppressively hot. It's not nasty or anything. It's just like it's warm. You know, we went to the pool today and didn't have a whole lot going on this weekend. So just kind of enjoying the summer while it's here because it's that time of year, like when you, when you start to realize it's summer, then summer's almost over. We just realize we're like got a month until the kids go back to school and it, kind of in that 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 time of the year. Yeah, well, uh, if you're missing summer, um, just come on over to Kansas City next week because it is hot as hell here and it is humid. We had like a like this downpour came out of nowhere and lasted like five minutes this afternoon. Yeah, and then you stepped outside and it was just like stew. Well, we're like it's ninety eight like, degrees and yeah, we're a day or two behind you on the weather, yeah. so it, it's coming it's this coming. way. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy we went to uh we went to a park here and like we're just there from like nine to ten and we're just like anytime we got outside the shade it's just like instant drenched sweat but yeah yeah it's a little warm yeah mitch and i were supposed to go for a bike ride this morning and i got out there and i had a problem with my tire so i actually Mm. had to i drove all the way out there and had to bail on him and he rode for a little bit but we both like even before we knew i had to cancel the ride we got there and like yeah it's gonna be muggy this morning <laughs> right, we're yeah. gonna be sweaty so <laughs> yeah i thought about doing a bike ride over my lunch while the kiddo was napping and then oh my i ended up having to change my wife's tire and stuff and so yeah. but i also knew i wasn't gonna do it because it is hot <laughs> and it's gonna be hot it's gonna be a sizzler in kansas city so you got anything going on next weekend that's the big question yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, not much to look forward to. Just a little bit of historic fest, people. We nice. are six days, five days away it's by the time you here. Hear this. It is almost here, and we're ready. Um, we've got a great turnout. I think um, good amount of people playing signed up. We got people playing ASL next war, last hundred yards, everything else, Memoir Forty Four, all kinds of stuff. Still time to sign. Still time to sign up if you're interested. There'll be a link in the show notes. But historic fest uh, board game war board gaming in kansas city for three days yeah speaking of things being over before you know it um that that's gonna be a fast three days i think i i think so too because i'm like trying to set up evening games with people i'm like i really only have a couple sort of three evenings but really only two so yeah and i'm gonna be busy obviously with the the next war asia thing that we got going on that'll be my entire daytime gaming experience which Trust me, I'm not complaining about it. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but that's obviously the majority of what I'll be playing. I think that's kind of the now I'm gonna put this to the test this weekend because I'm I've planned I have few planned games. Um just because I'll have to run around and do other things, but I've only planned quick playing games. I think the the best way, in my pretty unexperienced opinion is to have that dedication to something either all day, whether it's the same game every day, just mm-hmm. so, you're doing something from breakfast until after dinner time. And then yeah. just doing one other thing in the evening. I think that's the good approach. Like that's the right approach. I think. Yeah. That's my plan. Because if you like, let's say I'm going to play us civil war and then that takes five hours and I only plan on two hours. Well, then you just screw up all your other plans. So, <laughs> It's gonna be a good time, folks. Oh yeah, tons of prizes. Get some great sponsors. Or really, can it like 
the yeah. sponsorship support has been really cool, and I really appreciate it. It's not too late to sign up. Got nope. until Wednesday, right? Uh, Thursday at noon is Thursday the noon. Okay. prize drawing cutoff because I've got to print little tickets for everyone. Um, the registration sign up is you just have to be signed up before Friday. And but if you do it that late, then you uh, you're not eligible for prizes. Yeah. Okay, well, that's enough uh, pre-show jibber-jabber. Let's get into it, huh? Yeah, let's do. Yeah, I, I, Rich and I, I think we always say this, but I think this is going to be a quick one because my focus has been on, uh, well, Historic Fest. So, uh, let's see, anything uh, anything going on the shelves? Not really. Um, no war games anyway. I did, I've been talking about picking up Irish Gage for a while. I've uh-huh. been sort of looking at it every time I go to Miniature Market. I was sort of debating between that one and, is it Ride the Rails? It was a couple that sort of like in between, I was looking for something in between Ticket to Ride and an actual train game. So uh-huh. in an 18XX game. So um, I had been looking at it at Miniature Market and then one guy on the local Facebook board game page you know the buy sell page he he put it up for like i think 15 bucks i'm like oh yeah now i gotta do it so so i I did pick up irish gauge that's the only game i bought this month nice i also think i had one now i have bought some stupid shit this month which i will talk about then in the (laughs) show uh well not stupid to me but i think a lot of listeners may not be fans um i bought kim kanger's new game which i think i have had do you remember what legion's pre-order system is called i it's, do not no it's not p250 but it's it's yeah. i think there's a cutoff is 250 games and, and maybe not yeah i don't think i've ever pre-ordered a game from them so okay it's know. cpo cpo that's what they okay. call theirs um and it's 250 games and i think i've had heart of darkness on my cpo for before the podcast started but maybe not anyways uh heart of darkness is is here uh, it looks really cool. It is a like exploration adventure game set in the 1800s, um, and it's Kim Kanger. And DMBM Few was yeah. fantastic, and I want to play this. So you have it, or it hit its number? Where are you there? Oh, it, it's out, so you can you buy it, it now. Okay. Sorry. Cool. Yeah, and so like their CPO, you don't get charged. Like You just put your name down, say, hey, I'll buy a copy when it comes out. They email you, and then it's your duty to go out and buy it and i think it stays at the cpo price for a certain amount of time okay. that you have in that window to get it so normally this is 76 bucks it's 57 bucks shipping now it, that's how they operate yeah cool yeah and i think legion war games is on twitter now which uh is kind of cool out. i don't think I, i'm pretty sure i'm not following them because i didn't know they were yeah i think there was uh some clamor to get them a twitter account for uh, for a while now yeah it's just at legion war games cool there you go and yeah that's probably it for me oh let's talk about books um there is something at the end of the show that has replaced a lot of my book consumption time because i do a lot of audiobooks yeah um so which is amazing and I, that's all i want to talk about today but we won't uh, <laughs> i did read robert's ridge um which is a uh who wrote it who wrote it who wrote it sorry i'm all over the place tonight uh roberts ridge mcpherson yes which is um 
So some Navy SEALs go up to basically set up an observation point on a mountain during Operation Anaconda during uh, in Afghanistan. And basically a SEAL falls out as the helicopter comes under fire. So then they go back and they get into the shit and then some um, like special force response team like goes up after them. Like it's a pretty amazing story of what happens and like maybe over dependency on technology. Um, I liked it. I liked the story a lot. I think the writing could have been so much better. Like this could have been something as good as like red platoon or what's the, like the chosen reservoir. What, what did we just read? Um, or you just read it. Oh, uh, the one I just read. Uh, um, yeah. What was it devotion? called? Devotion. No, 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 no. The one about chosen reservoir. Oh, uh, oh. Why can I not remember that? Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'll look it up here. Okay. But, like, it's kind of, like, this could have been as good as those books. And it, it just misses the point. Like, it, it just doesn't deliver the drama in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an amazing story, and I do recommend it. And it is an interesting, like, question of, like, we have all the air power imaginable in this conflict but because of the like they're on the peak of a mountain so trying to hit you know hit that stuff like hit hit close air support is a nightmare yeah on desperate ground ground by the way yes thank you that's what yeah yeah i mean that's kind of a theme of especially post-world war ii american warfare though is like we have all of these cool toys and are we using them properly what am i like favorite moments from the book is they're up on the mountain and there's a, there's a bunker and there's a predator observing the, the fight. And, uh, one of the, um, I can't remember what they're called, but the, basically the guys from the air force that coordinate with the air support forward air uh, observers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, um, said, Hey, ask them if that predator has any missiles on it. I'm like, no, they don't have missiles on it. It's like, no, no, I've heard some of them have missiles on it. So they call in and ask, and sure enough, they have, like, they have two missiles on them, whatever they're equipped with, and they take out the bunker no problem with it, but it's just kind of interesting. Like, that was 2004 yeah. or something like that, or pre-2004, I don't think it was disclosed. I don't remember when this happened, but mm. it was interesting. So, recommend or not? Uh, Recommend, just not as, like, I'm not singing as much praise for this as some of the other... Yeah. You know, like Chicken Hawk or some of the other stuff that has really yeah. got my blood going. Yeah, I've been looking for more books like this that are sort of smaller individual stories rather than big historical narratives. That's just sort of what I've been drawn to recently. It's pretty short, too, which is... <laughs> that I mean, said, nice. the book that I've been reading is really more <laughs> of a grand historical narrative, so... <laughs> yeah, I've been reading, meaning to read some James Holland stuff, so which one He's you... He's so uh... good. Do you listen to We Have Ways of Making You Talk? I not on a regular basis. Okay. Like when I clear out yeah. my queue, then yes. Yeah. So he's one of the hosts of that show, and it's just it's him. He's a historian and writer, um, and he's paired up with a comedian, and they do a great World War II podcast. But James Holland wrote several books, and one of which he wrote is it's just called Normandy Forty Four. So guess what that one's about? Um, but it, <laughs> but it's really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit, um, especially more toward the beginning. Just lots of 
it was a big historical narrative, but there were plenty of individual stories mixed in there as well. So it was not so much a list of thing. I mean, I've read some books where it feels like they're just saying like, oh, the this division and that division met at this place. And uh, I'm not really interested in that be- unless I'm looking to do an OOB for a game I'm writing, which I'm not. Um, so I, I want to hear more stories. And this one is a, is a pretty good blend. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Good. I like I like the blend. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think I've picked this up a couple times. Like, pick it up, put it down. Mm-hmm. Just... It's good. And I liked his writing. Um, his writing, if you listen to his podcast, he writes uh, a lot like he, he talks on his podcast. It's a conversational style, which I enjoy. Yeah, I think I grabbed his Sicily book after you mentioned that he... he yeah, I don't have that one yet, it. but that's on my short list. Nice, 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 nice. Good. Other than that, it's... Uh, it's stuff we'll we'll talk about later. I'm yeah. sure. I've been reading some Lovecraft stuff, which yeah. has been. A we'll lot talk of about that later because you got yeah. me hooked on on this stuff now, yeah. and then you got my wife hooked as well. So nice. <laughs> I like to hear that. Uh, let's talk about some games again, though. Uh, so I did a pretty cool thing, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on this because it's a game we've talked about. I don't know once or twice, which is U.S. Civil War. Um, I've but heard that. yeah, it's a pretty good game. So. There's this group of war game players called the Georgetown University War Gaming Society, and it's open to the public. You don't have to be a Georgetown University student or anything like that. And I think, I don't want to misspeak here, but I think Sebastian Bay, who is a who is a professor at Georgetown, kind of runs up everything. Is that um, the person that runs their Twitter account? I, I don't think so. Okay. I think Sebastian has his own Twitter account, and I think the Georgetown War Game Society is shared, but um, they're pretty salty sometimes, and they put a <laughs> smile on my face. So uh, good for them. We need humor in the wargaming atmosphere for sure. Um, so they reached out, I think, as a joke to start about, like, hey, why don't – I don't know. They asked, like, what game should we be playing this summer? And I said, well, U.S. of War. It works great <laughs> as a team and has interesting decisions, of course. Yeah. It's the best war game ever made. And then they made a joke about running it and I said, well, I could probably do that. Um, and so I kind of taught uh, U.S. of War to a, a group of players from that group. And it was really interesting to hear some, like, beginner players go through the same pro- thought process or explore completely different strategies or analyze it in different ways. Like, they just think different. I think they have more um, – I don't, I don't want to, like – speak for anyone but like i came from a game background i don't think all of these people were from a game background i think some of them were military background yeah or were more interested in the strategy there'd be a lot of overlap there well i know for sure one guy was going to be up at fort leavenworth next year um at the at the staff college and Mm -hmm. so like obviously he's a much different perspective it was kind of cool to play with a group of players like that or hang out with them because it is so different than me yeah. Who has no military background. <laughs> so, uh, we did U.S. Civil War. That was fun. So and you then played with them? I just observed and oh, okay. clarified the rules. Like, I tried to do a rules teach to start, but you, know, you just can't do that. So just covered some basics and, and threw them in there and kind of said you can do this or that. And I think they caught on pretty quick. All of them caught on and uh, were able to push some counters around. They played yeah. 2v2. Yeah, the basics of U.S. Civil War are not hard at all to grasp. There are intricacies there, but yeah. Right. It's all the case rules about the waterways mm-hmm. and stuff. That. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then I, I played the new edition of High Frontier. And if you go back to, gosh, one of the early episodes, it was around when we started the KC Wargame group. 
I played High Frontier one weekend, and it just blew my mind. And this is just a good... I don't remember the rules from the third edition that I played, but the fourth edition rules are fantastic. Um, second time playing this, I didn't. I haven't gotten any better at it, but I still just love the story that each of your missions to space or whatever you're trying to do tell. It is such a good game. And it's not... It looks really good on the table. I saw your pictures of it, and it just—it's oh, one of those games so you look at it, and you're like, "That looks like it'll be cool to play." Absolutely, and it absolutely is. It also looks like it's a lot, and it's kind of one of those games that there are some rules, comp- complexity things, but a lot of it's just the decisions to make because it's a lot of math and stuff, and so trying to decide like how much fuel to send, like there's no guide to, to do those things really. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so good though. I I want to. I told I played with a couple guys here, Rex and Zach, and I told them that like this needs to be more frequent. Like I could play that once every three months. Yeah. For the force, like for a, a considerable amount of time and beat because there's modules we haven't even touched yet. We just played the base game. Nice. It's good. It's real good. What about you? What have you been playing? Um, I've been playing a decent amount, and this is on Board Game Arena. I wasn't playing it face-to-face or anything, but Unconditional Surrender, uh, World War II in Europe, which I played a couple years ago. I played with a couple friends. We played the Grand Campaign on ta- on the table, um, and I, I really liked it. It's a, it's a great game. I enjoy it quite a bit. But now it's on Board Game Arena, which I don't know that there's any other war game on board game arena so it's cool that it's there um i didn't play the grand campaign we just played uh me and and another he's actually a local guy but uh we just played a bunch of the the two player scenarios so we played like there's a really fun one where it's after world war ii actually it's the u.s and russia and then we played the uh germany russia you know eastern front scenario as well so played both of those it's a great implementation um i if you already know the, it's hard to it's hard to say how well it would go if you were trying to learn it playing it that way. There's issues with when the computer does things for you. But for me, who had already played it quite a bit and I already knew the rules, it's super easy. I mean, it's nice to have it instantly set up for you. You know, you click a piece and it even shows you like how many movement points it'll take and how far you can get and all the cool things that you need to do. So I enjoyed it quite a bit on BGA. Nice. I think we'll have a comment about like when the computer does things yes, for you absolutely. with our featured game later. So <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah. Board game arena is amazing. What a yeah. website. Uh, and then I just, I've been playing next door Taiwan, just sort of pushing around counters. Cause that's what I'm playing next week in the next door Asia that we're playing. So I just wanted to, I have, that's actually the only next door game that I hadn't played before. So I wanted to just get a f- feel for how this particular game was going to go. Nice. So I've been just playing that solitaire. I've heard a rumor that you can win a copy of this at Historic Fist. Awesome. I already have a copy, but sure. Well. <laughs> oh my gosh. I I just realized something. Yeah. I haven't picked out a war game game game. Oh no. That's okay. That's okay. We can fix this. Well, now would be a good time to introduce my new segment. Oh it's called boy. the ATS Minute. No. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. I hear that that's what all the cool kids are doing, man. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you're going to start a third podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to corner the market. I'm going to do an ATS podcast. I'm going to do a Panzer podcast. Nice. I'm going to do a Last 100 Yards podcast. I'm going to corner the market on World War 2 Tactical. 
All right. Um, okay, I've got a game. I gotta um, get a pen and paper. I can do this. All right, folks, we're doing this one live. Uh oh. <laughs> Play that. We'll do it live. Play that O'Reilly clip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Have you you Let's already see. got the game in your head? Yep, got the so, game. In so my I head. can do my free guess. Yes, you can. You All may. Right. My free guess is the last Blitzkrieg. No. Okay, um, this is a GMT game. Okay, that's not last post creek, then that's MMP. Um, let's go with Samurai. No. No, all right. This game was published in 1992. 92. Man, I, I wasn't playing games in 92. <laughs> uh, 92. 92, I was a freshman in college. What was published in 92? Something, let's say, uh, something Great Battles of the American Civil War. Uh, how about the one that's not actually a Civil War one, the uh, the, the Mexican one? <laughs> uh, Gringo. Gringo. Nice. Good guess, but no. No. All right. Uh, this game was designed by Gene Billingsley and Vance Von Boris. Well, I know who Gene is. I have no idea who Vance is. So I'm going to have to go with another random guess. Vance Von Boris. I don't think I've heard that name. Huh. I think you, maybe you haven't. Uh, what I'll say without giving anything away is you probably haven't heard the name. Yeah. But you would recognize a lot of the games that they have designed. Okay. Uh, let's go with Siege 30, of Elysia. 38 of them. Nice. Uh, good guess. No. Okay. Um, is it GBOH? No, GBOH is all... Um, Borg, isn't it? Or Berg? Uh, no, maybe not all of them. Not, I think he's credited on all of okay, them. Okay, okay. Um, this game is part of the operational system. Yeah, I don't. I haven't played any of GMT's operational systems. That's not games. true. Have That's I? not true. Well, is this, is it Normandy 44? No. No, because that's Seminich, and that's not called the operational system, is it? No, it's not. Yeah. I know he is, he actually doesn't have a name for his system. They either I call right. it Zoc Bond or some people call it the 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 four X games or whatever, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm gonna I, get no points. I, I, I wanna I want a little side guess here of uh, we've we've done four clues, right? That sounds about right. GMT year designers and the series, which is operational system. I want to take a little quick aside here real quick okay. and let everyone try to guess um, what, at least recently, there is a, in the GMT sphere, the realm, a very popular GMT game in the last five years is an operational system. Is it? Yeah. And you've played it recently. And I have played it. You have. As a matter of fact, you probably saw one of the co-designers of that game this morning. See, now he's he's just going to be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they will just leave it hanging out there. Silver Bayonet is part of the same series. I see, I did I had no idea that was part of a series game. Yeah. I mean, I I, I knew that Silver Bayonet, because the, the edition that I have is the 25th anniversary edition, so I knew uh -huh. it was originally an older game, yeah. but I I didn't know that was a series game. 
Yeah, technically, um, okay. it is part of that series. Um, artists include Roger McGowan and Mark Simonich. Well, that's a given. Well, that's a clue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I really don't think I'm going to get this one at all. It all start getting easier. Simonich. Um, so, well, uh, let's, I mean, we'll go through the Simonich games. Um, we already said Normandy. Um, Ukraine 43. No. All right. Uh, just Sardis. Simonich is just credited as Sardis. Oh, okay. Uh, this is a World War II game. Um, I'm sure we'll make that a clue. Let me just give you a time frame. <laughs> just give me that one. Um, let's go with uh, Thunder in the East. No. No. All right. Um, this is a company battalion scale game uh, featuring German and British forces predominantly. Probably some other minor allied forces as well. The Australians are All probably right. pissed at me for calling them minor. But yeah, so I'm going to guess it's a North Africa game. Uh, well, Dark Summer is... Uh, dark summer why not no because nope. that's should race here yeah yeah it's right not, not yeah and not 1992 yeah okay um that's seven. Ooh, it's getting ugly all right uh so clue number eight is this focuses on the conflict between those forces in the mediterranean in 1941 92, huh? 92 GMT game in North Africa or Mediterranean. Uh, I'll give you not North Africa. Oh, you know what? Isn't there a... Isn't there a... I want to say it's a Salerno game that's... it's It sounds like it's a Simonich game, but it's not. It's Salerno 41. Let's say that because you just said 41. Something like that? Nope. No. That's too early for Salerno, though. I think Salerno's the new one coming out. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because it sounds like a Simonich game, but it's not. I didn't know if that was a remake. Um, Wait, is Salerno not a Simonich Well, no, game? no, he has an Italy game, but there's there's a GMT game coming out that sounds like a Simonich game, and it's okay. not. I can't remember what it's called, though. Okay, yes. Yeah. Salerno 43 is Simonich for sure. Okay, okay. Uh, that's 8-9. Um, this is... A game covering the German airborne assault on Crete. Oh, okay. It's uh, two more guesses. Operation Mercury. You got it. Ah, two there points. We go. All for I did Rich. was just randomly guess the name of the operation. Yeah, right. <laughs> Very good. Wow. So that is the same series as Silver Bayonet. Yeah. Yeah. I it's called never, the operational ever knew system. That. that is crazy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vance von Boris. Let's let's talk about him real quick. Some some games you may be aware of. The Barbarossa games. Sure, and I, those were on my mind. But um, when you said it was part of that operational system, I didn't think. Again, I guess I don't know, but um, I was thinking those, the Barbarossa games were their own. They there's are that East Front s- series that GMT has as well. Yes, yeah, Army they're part of that North, East Front South, series. Army, yeah, yeah. And then they got Crimea, and uh-huh. I. Um, and then I don't think the remake, but he did a game called Desert Fox. Okay. Way old school. Probably not the one that Decision redid. 
He did Operation Mercury. Looks like he had a Casserine game from GMT. Uh, hmm. Sounds interesting. In 2001. Huh. Interesting. The only, person well. on, the only person on my Geek Buddy list that's played it is Mitch, and Mitch has given it an 8. I'll have to ask him what he thinks about uh, Casserine. <laughs> ah, that'd be fun. I'll have to yeah. I'll see if that's any good. Oh, good one. I liked it. They shouldn't be easy. Nope. But you would have no, been pissed should. if it was Beyond the Rhine or whatever I guessed at the beginning. Yeah, whatever you... Yeah, the last Blitzkrieg. <laughs> well, you know, I had to turn around and look at my shelves to, to pick something. Okay, those are probably his most famous games. Yeah, 38 games for advanced fun boys. Nice. That's the war game game, folks. Yes. And I guess we'll have to start ATS Minute next next month. I guess we'll do that next time. <laughs> we'll do that after we have to get every game rated. That's right. Yeah. Then we can start talking about those tactical games. All so right. there's one game we both played that we haven't talked about yet. I guess Are you talking about our featured one. game? I'm talking about our featured special spectacular game. That's right, folks. Uh, so we both played this one. Yeah, um, together and I think, even. Uh, I think a lot of it, we've played it together. And I think a lot of people have been playing this over the last six months because it recently got a uh, Steam and mobile version. Yeah. And yeah, when it game... first came out in Steam, I played it quite a few times. Which actually, uh, we'll get into this, but it was a little problematic, I think, for my enjoyment of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've talked about this game a little bit, especially the last few months, and that's Labyrinth. Uh, 2010 GMT Design by Volko Rinke. I think it's, and it's Runka. Oh, Runka. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so it came out in 2010. And there's been, is it two or three expansions since then? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you want to tell them what Labyrinth's about? Yeah, so Labyrinth is about the War on Terror. It is a two-player card game by GMT. Uh, I guess you'd call it a card-driven game. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and if you've played coin games, you can definitely see the family resemblance, but it's not a coin game. Uh, it is a two-player card-driven game where one side plays uh, the U.S. and the other side plays Islamists. Um, so... Um, other nations sort of get involved through actions and cards and everything, but it's really just between those two sides. The goal of the Islamists is to turn Middle Eastern countries toward Islamist government or to set off a nuke in the U.S. Um, the goal of the U.S. is to get lots of countries to fair or even better good governance, um, which I kind of joked with my wife. She's like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, it means from the U.S. point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Or alternatively, to kill every single terror cell on the map. Those are the yeah. two ways that you can win. And then it's if the game ends, it's most resources, I believe. It's, yeah. Or it's a couple different factors to determine um, who wins. But yep. those are kind of the automatic wins. Um, and what's you mentioned coin, but I think uh, I think the bigger comparison for me is Twilight Struggle. Yeah, that's that's fair too. It is a way like there's no it is very much in the you're playing a card for its event or action points and if you play it for the action points you're activating unless you're playing solo you're activating your opponent's event yeah Um, right so the in in that definitely more twilight struggle than coin sure uh the difference here is you're playing two cards at a time and twilight struggle you're playing one card at a time yeah, the Islamists always get to go first. They mm-hmm. play two, then the U.S. plays two. So it, instead of just strictly alternating, it's always two and two, which is which interesting. I like that because I think it allows you to do a little more like planning, like a big move, you know, mm-hmm. 
like you're not always reacting which is i mean you are always reacting because the board state is always changing but having that back-to-back card play actually i actually like a lot um and i think as we go through this there's not a lot to talk about mechanically here because i think we've just covered the main mechanics you're you're using those action points to either place uh, cells or bring on new troops or increase your influence or attempt to change the governance in a particular area or carry out plots to raise funding or eliminate uh, terrorist cells. Yeah, one thing Uh, I will say about the mechanics is every country, well, not every country, every Middle Eastern country, basically, um, as well as like some Southeast Asian countries. So like not Europe, not the U.S., um, but most of the countries that are represented on the map, they have basically two different axes. So like how good is the government? And that's four levels. It's either good, fair, poor, or Islamist. And then the second axis is what is their relationship to the United States? Are they an ally? Are they neutral? Or are they an adversary? So you could have an adversary with fair government, um, maybe, or fair poor. They don't necessarily have to be Islamist. You could have an ally with poor government. So it can go both ways, and both of them are important, and both the Islamists and the U.S. uh, move those pieces in different ways. Um, Yeah, well, that's all well said. And there's not a whole lot of other actions to cover from the action point spending. Um, No, I mean, learning to play the game is fairly simple um yes the comparison with coin i came up with because you you have a player aid and it's like well these are the four things you can do basically sure that's their own um and then i spend a lot of my time when i play it just like desperately trying to not give the other guy (laughs) his events Um, sure so yeah the, the game itself is fairly simple it's figuring out how to uh how to keep up with the flow of it that's more difficult Right. And, and how to, what I struggle with, um, how I felt is I had a hard time, unless I was playing a very, one of the ways the United States player can win or the coalition, whatever, however they can win is by essentially just playing an action called war of ideas where you're trying to, um, switch the governments to mm-hmm. good. And if you do that for 12 resource countries, I believe what, what it is. So four countries with three resource, you can win that way. Yeah. Um, now it does involve a lot, a lot of dice rolling, though, it for is. both it, sides. It completely comes down to, if you are only playing War of Ideas with your, with your cards as a U.S. player, every turn you're rolling dice, there's slight modifiers. Most of the time you're looking for like a five or a six. Mm-hmm. Um, you can win that way, though. And if you're playing solo, because the bot is scripted and what they're going to do there's sometimes they won't mess with you and obviously this isn't an ideal strategy for a human player but playing solo i was able to win by just playing war of ideas as my action every single time so what i my the reason i bring this up is my struggle with this game was identifying what i should be doing to win I understood all the actions and I understood what they all did, but I really, I just struggled to make that connection. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. I mean, I got the same thing and there's a little bit of that in every game, but in this game in particular, like I played, I played one game with my wife on the cardboard, on the table and everything. And both of us were just kind of like looking at every card and going, "Eh, this looks interesting. Let's see what it does. And (laughs) And we, 
you know, she ended up setting off a nuke in the U.S. and Insta won. But if if that hadn't have happened, we were kind of at a stalemate where neither of us was making a lot of progress. I think some of the confusion was a personal mistake of I bought the game, the game came out on Steam, and then I learned to play on Steam. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a... I did the same thing too. I owned the game, but I learned to play on Steam. I had a big disconnect until just a few weeks ago when I got it out on the table and played solo before you and I played. And then I just started to understand things more, mm-hmm. uh, understand some more rules. Like why the hell are they playing my cards on Steam and the events aren't going off in a solo player mode? Like right. you don't, the, the Jihad side doesn't trigger us events. Just things like that. Um, getting it out on the table, looking at the die roll modifiers, moving all the pieces myself, not automating things, really gave me more of an understanding, but I still struggle to see like win conditions or to see the right cards to play. Yeah. One thing that I really liked, and I, this never clicked until I saw it on the table, but the, the government markers, good, one, fair, two, poor, three. Those all mean something. Those numbers mean something, and it makes a lot more sense once you see it on the cardboard. So for the U.S., it means you have to play that many number of operation points to do anything in that country. For the Islamists, it means... How many die you roll? Yeah, how many dice you get to roll, and also what your success number is. So it it makes a lot of sense, and it's it's well-designed once it clicks. But on Steam, everything goes so fast, and you're like okay, I'm just going to click a button and it'll tell me if I succeeded or if I failed, but I don't really know why. Right. And, or why can't I, why can't I do war of ideas in this country right. or something like that? And, and yeah. that's not, and that's not a fair criticism of the, the game. game as a no, whole. No, not at all. Yeah. But that's my internal struggle with this because I was missing all of those little rules of what, when you can do this and what you're actually looking for as the, and it's kind of like when I went back to twilight struggle after years of not playing and playing on steam, like, the mechanics were there. I remembered exactly how, like the the card play and taking your actions worked. Mm-hmm. It's all the little things, um, and so I don't I don't know. Is this a critique of Labyrinth or is this a critique of the app? I don't Which think it's necessarily a critique of either. I think it's a warning because yeah, okay. we're we're seeing more and more digital adaptations, and GMT has announced that they're going to be doing more, and that's a good thing overall. But it does it does bring a warning with it that. It may not be the the best way to learn the game. Even though there's tutorials and everything, it'll teach you how to play that game, but there's still something different about playing it on the cardboard. And then now, you know, I can use Steam to to play against someone that already knows it. You know, it's it's obviously quicker to set up. You can play turn by turn, you can keep coming back to it. There are advantages to doing it that way, but the game itself is is not not the same as playing it on Steam. I, I would also say, like, after playing it on Steam at first, I was not impressed. And, and for a long time, I, I have heard consistently that this is better than Twilight Struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not a huge Twilight Struggle fan. And one of the big things I had heard is, like, the theme comes through more. And I think it does. But I was not enjoying this game very much just playing on Steam. And it was missing that connect when I got it out on cardboard and then went back to it and then played with you and then kept playing over these last couple of weeks. Cause it was just, it was so fast to like turn out a one deck game, especially uh-huh. now that I knew it, it with informed decisions, like my enjoyment went up significantly 
Yeah. Like, it's it's not my favorite game, but, like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I played it last uh, yeah. Saturday at our uh, our our for first time in a year and a half. We had a, a monthly face-to-face game day with St. Louis War Gamers. I played this game face-to-face with someone that day, and it was the most I have enjoyed this game. Yeah. What I do you think that. of the I'm theme, not... though? Because you mentioned that. I, it, I think it comes through um, more so... It's it's kind of sometimes in coin and definitely in Twilight Struggle. Like I just feel like I'm doing something because it's the mechanic. Like yeah. I'm I'm putting down propaganda in coin or whatever it's called, but I don't actually feel like I'm doing anything. And that comes a lot in Twilight Struggle as well. I think it's diff- a little different here. You know, you're moving forces on the board, not a ton of counters like what the u.s only has you know 15 troops or something like that right um yeah i think it's 15 for each of them i think it's max so i i do feel it but it's not i I don't know i'm kind of i'm kind of struggling to find the words here for me personally i'm always going to enjoy the like more straightforward war games than something like this but i do think it comes through more so than twilight struggle what do you think i think we're in the same ballpark um i would agree that it's better but i'm still not crazy about it um you can definitely feel the tension but that's not the same as theme there are some cards in this game that i think are just perfectly themed like yes the the ksm yes. card the khalil sheikh muhammad it's a neutral card. Neither side automatically gets the event. But if one side plays it, he gets arrested and you get to stop a terror attack. If the other side plays it, you get to automatically place terror attacks somewhere. So it's very thematic because who's going to end up with this guy? But right. I find that a lot of the, uh, especially the cards that are for one side or for the other, don't really feel thematic to me. They may be historically influenced, but you still run into that same problem where this is a three ops card. Um, he's going to get to play, you know, I think of the, the, the one card that lets the Islamists put down two different plots if the U S plays it. Um, and the U S might have to play that three ops card or maybe they can save it to the end and try to discard it or whatever. But in any case, what about the U S playing three ops here? is going to allow the Islamists to place two ops. To me, that's mm. I, I don't see the theme there. Whereas with the KSM card, it makes sense because who's going to control this actual person? Is the U.S. going to arrest him or is the are the Islamists going to get to use him? Yeah, maybe like I... I mean, I don't really need to defend the game, but like I guess if I thought about that, if the U.S. plays a card for three ops, well, I guess in some way that r- represents... U.S. involvement or intervention in this area, which will probably piss some people off. And so as yeah. a direct result of that, then they're going to do these things. Yeah, I, ma- you can make that argument. Right. I, I just I, I, I find the neutral cards to be more interesting because I think that they come across as and there's a bunch of them in there. There's some that get political influence and there's sure. some cards that are really cool. They're like they give something to each side. You know, they're right. like, you get to set this as an ally, but you get to place a plot, stuff like that. So those are the cards that I find the most interesting. And I will say, like, the titles of the, just as a quick aside, like, although I don't see much theme in Twilight Struggle, 
like the the cards are great just like the titles and the pictures oh and sure like for a historical like just kind of looking at those things yeah do i ever feel like if i play i don't even remember a twilight struggle card other than the china card right now like do i really feel like i'm doing anything i guess here and like if i'm playing the predator card or if i'm the islamist playing the predator card all right i shouldn't say you're the jihadist playing the predator card like yeah i'm doing something and then that leads to a drone strike i i guess is how i yeah i see it it's not but that's a pretty like you got to make that connection this isn't oozing theme that yeah. criticism making that criticism though i want to i will say this is a brilliantly designed game oh sure like yeah, the rule book is f- fantastic like it's not long um the bot plays very well. the The flow chart is similar to the coin flow charts. If you're fl- familiar with those, basically, if you're unfamiliar, if you're playing solo in this game, there's a very procedural. Is this the condition? No. Yes. Do this. No. Yes. Do this. And you just keep following that, and that tells you how to play the bot as you play solo. But the rule book of um, Labyrinth is, I, I think, fantastic. Which, I, again, I probably should have just really read in more detail before I hopped onto Steam. But yeah, it's like it's a good game. Yeah, from a design perspective. Yeah, I it's haven't just played not against my... the bot, so I oh, okay. Can't really comment on that. You haven't you haven't played on the against the bot on on Steam? Well, I've played against the AI on Steam. I don't know if that's the bot or not. Is that just using the bot rules, or is that something else? I don't well, know. That's a good question. I don't sure know. I know that. some of the rules are still in effect yeah. because they I won't know, trigger U.S. events. Yeah, I, right. I do know that on Steam, if you're playing single player against the AI, when he plays one of your events, you don't get to use it. And that's that's why, honestly, that's why I stopped playing against the Steam AI because that's not the same game at that point. That's true. Now, in a opposed game, the first jihadist plot... Right. And that's it that's will in the not rules. trigger the U.S. event, but in but in then the you same have to game, use a plot, right? <laughs> and you don't always want to be you don't always want to be plotting, especially if you're funding at full. You're not really going to get much of a benefit from it, right? Um, I I don't know. Have we? I mean, like the game plays quick. You can change the length. There's lots of good things going on here. Yeah. Doesn't take up a whole lot of table space. It's just a, nope. a single map. Good looking game. Yep. I. I think it's an interesting topic. There's just not a lot of war in Afghanistan games out there. Right. Or, you know, global war and terror games out there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if there's really much more to say about it. I, I mean, I feel like we haven't spent near as much time as we yeah. talk about our other games. I, but w- well, I did mention it has expansions. I did not play with them, but no, a friend of mine that was playing with me, he owns the expansions and he just briefly kind of told me what they were. So they do, um, obviously more cards, which is, you know, the basic, but there are some new rules as well, as well as like new countries. Um, and I think some new victory conditions as well. So, um, so that's what the expansions are. We just played the base game though. Well, anything else to say about the game? No, I think there's only one thing left to do. Yeah, I just I uh, before I'm I guess I'm delaying going there because I just feel bad, um, but I guess I mean it is what it is. It's a good solid game. Yeah. If you like these kinds of games, you will like this. I don't want to speak for Rich, 
But if you go look at, you know, just my personal favorites or how we've ranked the war games, um, I tend to just feel a disconnect from games like this, I guess. I don't know. No, no, I get that. Um, and honestly, when I was the first couple times I played it, even on cardboard, I was thinking, I'm not sure I want to keep this. But then I played with my life. I played with you know the friend last week. And both of those were better experiences. My wife is like, yeah, I'll play this one again. So I think it's a keeper at this point, but it's, yes. it's not, I'm going to keep mine. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't think I'm going to play it a lot, but, but it'll be a keeper. Yep. All right. Well, um, Rich alluded to it. Uh, we have a list where we rank every war game ever, every war game ever made. And we rank them from best to worst. Well, we reveal where they are in the rankings. That's right. Yeah. We are merely the arbiters, the arbiters. <laughs> we are merely, um, the as they say on war rocket ajax we just reveal the sculpture hiding in the marble <laughs> except we're working with clay or something less expensive than marble on our <laughs> podcast uh so we've done 39 games so far uh this will be our 40th entry uh so i think we have the floor and i don't think we need to bend around the bush i think this is better than twilight struggle yeah so i think twilight struggle is 30 imperial struggle is 20 I think that's probably the range that we look at to, to start with. Yeah, I haven't played. I I will. I have played Imperial Struggle. I haven't played it enough. I'm going to play it at Historic Fest, right above Imperial Struggle. Sekigahara. I think that you're right. That's probably the ceiling. Yeah. So between Sekigahara and um, Twilight Struggle. Yeah, and then going down the list, last hundred yards. I would. I don't think either of us would seriously consider putting this one above last hundred yards. Right, and I wouldn't put it above Normandy 44. Yeah. So then we're down to SPQR. That's kind of an interesting deal because I like SPQR, but like even now when I think about SPQR, I'm just kind of like, eh. but then when I play it, I'm like, oh, this game's awesome. But yeah, I really got to play uh, that one. I've got it on right, my shelf here. Haven't played it yet. Uh, so the only thing, well, so we got to skip a few. You played Empire in Arms. I've played Operation yep. Pegasus. You haven't played 1754. Uh, so then we hit Pavlov's House, which is something we've both played. Yeah, interesting question. Pavlov's House versus Labyrinth. I know how I think I feel. I think I like Pavlov's house better. Yeah, it's really close. Yeah. and But to me, that's super just into, like, that's personal taste at that point. Like, Yeah, I think that might be the case. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I like I think Pavlov's this is probably better a better design. Like, this is a better design, I think. Um. I don't know how well Pavlov's house would really work two player. No, that's but, yeah. It's 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 always harder to to do a strictly solitaire game to yeah. stick it in there somewhere. Sure. Well, but I know how I know how Imperial Struggle plays solitaire, and I know how Pavlov's pass, house plays solitaire. Yeah. And I would rather play Pavlov's house solitaire. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, and then so below Pavlov's house, we have Brave Little Belgium. I love Brave Little Belgium, but I'd have to put Labyrinth above it. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. All right. I like it. Number 28, Labyrinth. Number 28. It's number 40. How many more? Number one has not changed. No, neither is 40. Well, actually, I think we, I wouldn't say we're getting closer, but since I'm not buying more games, we're at least not getting further. Um, but the games are coming out. 
That's true. Yeah, I know. So games, <laughs> games, games are at the printer now that are gonna <laughs> right be that will end up on this list. Sure, 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 sure. So yeah, we gotta do at least forty more. At least forty more. Okay. Huh. I feel like when we started, we had thirty-nine. Nah, I don't know. Fake news. Fake news. Uh, we <laughs> number have some one questions. has not changed. Number and I, I started to say number forty hasn't, but forty has because the the yeah. first bottom game was Titan. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. Which um. So here's the deal. I would play Titan again. Yeah. I don't think I'd. I don't think I'd play Zeppelin Raider again. Yeah. I remember listening to your review of Zeppelin Raider. That was before oh, I was on the show with you, and I was just. What? I thought it was quite funny because. I've I've played games like that. They're like, is this even a game, or am I just rolling dice and seeing what happens? <laughs> At least Titan, like, it's just bullshit. <laughs> it's way too long. Ah uh, man, oh, we need some bottom shooters. We need some. Uh, yeah, hey, that's if you rough, want, though, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, this month I'm going to play a game that I'm pretty sure I'm going to right. Hate. <laughs> so here's here's what we need, folks. We have a Patreon, and you can go join our Patreon. And you can come join our chats. What did we talk about last time? I guess we talked a little bit of hockey. It uh, seems like we always do at least a little hockey. A little hockey. Um, we talked about Bill's wife's triathlon. Yep, yep. Uh, just the Sorkfest stuff a lot. Um, a little bit of Magic the Gathering, briefly. I, just a little bit of everything. So you can join all that stuff, do all the cool, fun things like that. But if you really want to join, you really want to get involved, and you want to give us a bottom feeder, you can join and we will do it. So one pick uh, per patron. Once you join at a certain level, we will do it. Hey, if, if you, you really join Patreon in the next few days, you can have a beer with us next Thursday. Yes. Yeah. And if you can't make next Thursday Patreon meetup, I will give you. Yeah, right. I mean, really, like <laughs> now you're just wasting money because like you could join at the $2 level and like the beer is going to be at least Thursday like five and then bucks. Stop your right? Subscription. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, you got to at least pay in the two. So I guess our promotion is join our Patreon, get $2 off your beer on Thursday night at Historic Fest. So. Uh, it's all true, and I did think about that. I was like, huh, I wonder if anyone's going to like do that. Like, <laughs> I, get, I get a free beer. Uh, so, yeah, join up. Uh, give us a stinker. Because we haven't – I mean, we've been floating around the bottom, but, like, number 28 is not a bad game. You know, like, being no, this low. Yeah. Like, 28 is in the bottom half of the, the class, but uh, the class definitely is to class. quality. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, there's a couple weird kids in the back, though. <laughs> All right, we got some questions from some listeners, and we got some questions that I'm stealing from Twitter as well. So Nice. Should we get to those? Yeah, let's do. I like let's, questions. Yeah, and, me too. Hopefully, hopefully I'll get these on the first answer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, if you have questions, you can send them to our email and stuff. But uh, we've got a few of them here. These Some of these come from our Discord. We have a Discord server if you want to join that. You can drop your questions below. We'll give a little shout-out when we're recording ahead of time so you can ask questions like Bose which was do you have any history related locations you'd like to visit both international and in the US so like the short answer is yes absolutely the follow up question is what are they and i was i was thinking this of like all right my top US destination and like my top international i don't know how how did you approach this i had sort of two international and then the u.s one is not really one specific one but there are a few yeah all right hit me with your international ones uh international i mean 
Europe in general, I mean, I'd love to see, you know, Northern France, Belgium, you know, the places of some of the historic battles of World War II. But then very more specifically, I really want to go to uh, Hungary. I mean, I want to go to Budapest, and uh, which I was supposed to go last year, but then COVID and hopefully it'll be next year, but we'll see. Um, but that's where my family's from. So uh, obviously a lot of historic battles there, not just from World War II, but going back further. And that's really the, if if I had to say one international place that I want to go, it'd be Budapest. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah I think the, like, an obvious answer is, is Normandy. Yeah. Um, That's the, like, like the close second, sure. For me, the different islands in the Pacific would be interesting. Just because I've seen, like, pictures from some of those trips that are geared towards that. Those are kind of the, the two I thought of, like... Of course, my first thought was like, oh, Finland. Because <laughs> I wonder if I can go to Finland. But, uh, you know, I didn't. I don't know, like, what the World War II preservation scene is like in Finland. So I figured I'd better go with something else. All right, what about what about uh, here? Um, I mean, there's lots of uh, Civil War battlefields that I'd like to see. Um, some that I'd like to see again. I mean, I've been to Shiloh. That's my favorite one that I've been to. I've been to Gettysburg. Um, hoping to, this is another thing we were going to do last year and didn't get to do, but go down to, um, I'm drawing the blank of it. What's a Arkansas one? P Ridge. P Ridge. Yeah. I want to go down there as well. So, uh, Shiloh, I, I, I really want to go back to Shiloh. I haven't been there in a while and it's, it's, it's a really cool battlefield. So even though I've already been there, that's probably number one on my list. Yeah, I think with with the U.S., um, you only have so many conflicts to choose from, and I thankfully, think the most, <laughs> yeah, right. And I think the most preserved battlefields are typically going to be the U.S. Civil War. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think a of, lot of the uh, American War, of Revo- American Revolutionary War stuff is not really there anymore. I think you'll just right, like go to a neighborhood and see a plaque on a bench or yes, something. Yes, and that's and that's my point. So, and like the U.S. Civil War stuff, I basically haven't been to any of it. And so my answer was probably going to be Antietam, but I would probably like if I had to pick like my like go take a trip. I would probably do Gettysburg first, just because of how much stuff is there. Yeah. Um. Like and yeah. So Gettysburg is what I'll say for the U.S. Um. So the Georgetown University War Game Society Twitter put out a question a couple weeks ago, and it was similar to another question, and I liked both of them, but I'm going with theirs. And it was, if you had to reduce your board game collection to only three games, what would you keep and why? Uh, and so just a couple of clarifications for this that I think I will help you and I answer this is this is like, this is not bachelor version of rich and Matt. This is like our current <laughs> version now. So like I need to keep into consideration my wife who I play most of my games with anyways, just not war games. So, uh, did you give this any thought rich? Do you have your three games? Yeah. I mean, number one for me is easy because if I could, if I had one game and I had to keep it, it would be ASL. ASL. But that almost yeah. feels like cheating because like an ASL collection is the size of a lot of people's board game collection. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't even have everything, but I have more than enough ASL to play the rest of my life. So right. that's an easy number one for me. Same here. My number one was also ASL just because of the cheat answer because you'd get so much variety with so many different scenarios. Yeah. Or what was your number two then? Uh... See, I, and this is where it gets complicated because if we're not talking about just for me, but family games as well, um, I think 
probably the family game that it's not my favorite game to play, but like if you average family rankings of every game we have, this one's going to come out the highest. I think it's going to be Clank. Clank seems to be the one that we can all sit down every time and enjoy it. So that'd probably be on the list. Yeah, we don't like in our top 10 lists. I think we've talked about kind of Euro and card games and other board games. But for those that don't know, Clank is a deck builder game that kind of is basically in essence, like a push your luck. Like you need to get out with your goods. Yeah. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. It's a dungeon crawl esque. I mean, you go in and you know, there's certain ways that the dragon will notice you and attack you and you, cubes out of a bag to see if you got hit by the dragon or not but yeah definitely plus your luck the the further you go the more treasure you could get but also the bigger chance you could die so and there are expansions for clank too different maps and everything so and different versions um yeah so my number two is and i'll narrow it down here but basically i kind of said i want a big dean asic design and (laughs) so yeah is it bcs ocs line of battle and i would either come down with OCS Korea, just by the amount of scenarios and the fact that the campaign game is 117 turns or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I didn't go OCS, I would probably go None But Heroes, which is the Antietam game. The one thing that OCS would have over that is, I think, more scenarios and more scenario variety, like just playing out a little bit differently. Um, so I guess OCS Korea, which is kind of a bold choice because I've only played it a few different times on Vassal, like oh, a few different turns. Yeah, it's so good. And and that game, I mean, or an OCS game is 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 going to be like my three and a half, the one that is sure. going to break my heart to not put on this list. Right, right. Um, but same reason. I mean, for that third game, I want something big. I want something infinitely replayable. So I have thought about, yeah, OCS Korea, definitely on the list. Uh, something like beyond the Rhine, you know, huge replayable. You can play that uh, a thousand times and you're going to get a different game every time. So, but then ultimately the one I came up with was, uh, road to get two, because I think nice. Yep. Ultimately yep. replayable. There's a lot in that box. The game really is amazing. Games. The systems. <laughs> am- yeah, exactly. So that's, that would be my third, I think. Yeah. It was hard not to pick GCACW, yeah. which also <laughs> spoils that I didn't. Um, but I kind of like I say Dean Essig, like mostly Dean Essig, but the MMP series that I, we really love, Line of Battle, GCACW, OCS, I assume BCS. I just need to spend more time with that. Um, but I also I had to think of the family. So one of our Uwe Rosenberg is one of our favorite designers. Um, yeah. He did Agricola, Feast for Odin, Caverna, uh, Fields of Arl. And I kind of settled down to either Fields of Arl, Feast for Odin, or Great Western Trail, which are three of our favorite Euro games. And mm-hmm. if I was being particularly selfish, I would probably go Fields of Arl, which is something I just love, like seeing the final board state. And it's worker placement game. You have to feed your family like in the other Uwe games. It's not as strict. Um, but you kind of go through like a summer and winter season with five workers each season, just kind of building up your family's legacy over time um it's just one of my favorite duvet games it's fantastic yeah this would be my three nice all right we have more questions we got a lot of good questions all right hit me with another one 
Uh, this one I thought it's an interesting one from Bill, even though I don't think I'm going to answer it as written. Uh, but <laughs> what games should be in your wheelhouse, but for some reason you can't stand, and why? It's coin. For me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go first here because, like, everything about coin sounds good on paper, except yeah. for the actual actions you take out in the game. I love the, like, politicking, and, like, I've grown to love the king making to a, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. S- somewhat it, it, when it makes sense for it to be king making i think there's some coin games there shouldn't be that element but besides all that stuff like the different cards and the way that uh powers activate and the like just the um the asynchronous play people having different abilities what i don't actually like are the actions you carry out yeah yeah i've talked about coin quite a bit on here i used to be huge into them um i've gotten rid of a bunch of them and i think i said with the last one and i feel confident saying this i'm not going to buy anymore but yeah coin is kind of the same place for me now it's i wouldn't say it it is to the level i can't stand them because there are still a few coin games that i've hang on to and i will enjoy playing again but somewhere around the time that uh pendragon and gandhi came out I don't know if it was coin games that changed or me that changed, but somewhere around then is when I broke up with coin. So is, is coin your pick? Yeah. I th- yeah. Yeah. I, that's safe to say. I mean, I would say more specifically it'd be like Pendragon and Gandhi, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it shouldn't. Yeah. It's cause just, some of the order, like something... falling skies. And, and again, maybe it's just the sentimentalness of it to me, but I still really enjoy that game. I think it's, it's a great game. Um, Liberty or Death, I would play again. Uh, Colonial <laughs> Twilight is the only two-player coin game, and I like that one. And All Bridges Burning, I'm not crazy about it, but it's a three-player coin game, and I, I it's good enough to keep. So, I'd love to know the count of like episodes we didn't poo-poo coin. <laughs> I know we say it a lot, but Bill asked the question, and yep. I mean, really, it's the best answer because it is something that is very popular it does check a lot of boxes it's just the actual stuff i'm doing isn't fun to me all right and then we had one last question from discord which was what would you say to someone who regularly plays strategy board games and is interested in dipping a toe into the wargaming world i think if you go back and listen to like episode one or two i touch on this a little bit and that's just do it <laughs> I've, that's good I've, advice yeah i've always like I understand why, and I don't think it's malicious gatekeeping in any way, but there's always this hurdle that we put up between war games and Euro games and other board gaming that, oh, war gaming are just these monsters with super long rules and they're super complex. And yeah, they are. And like the rules can be mm-hmm. super complex. But once I think once you find one and work through one that you really love, like my appreciation for U.S. Civil War, like things will click because and the reason I say go for it is I think if you follow the like traditional advice, you're going to get shoehorned into games that maybe you don't like. Now, if Twilight Struggle, which is often you know recommended as a good beginner game, is something that sounds interesting to you, then go for it. But, like, if I had gone down the list of games that people recommend to start playing war games with, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much to get started. But the U.S. Civil War sounded super amazing and looked super impressive and it is an area I'm interested in playing. And so I just went for it. And we had a few false starts in other games that I wasn't loving. But once I went for U.S. Civil War and just said, fucking, I'm going for it, 
Like, there was no turning back. So yeah. my deal would be, like, find the game you want to play, not the game that's often recommended for beginners because it's got a low rules overhead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one I was going to say two things, and one of them is almost exactly what you said, but find something, an, an era or a battle or something that is interesting to you. Don't don't just say, like, what what's a good game to play? Go into it saying, I think the Battle of the Bulge is awesome. Do there happen to be any good Battle of the Bulge games? Or, right. or I think Ancients are awesome and I want to run over somebody with elephants. You know, are there yep. any games that let me do that? Right. So that's where you should start. Um, or, the other, yeah, go ahead. Well, I would just say, and just add on to that, like if, if World War II is your interest, then just think of it like, okay, I want to experience World War II, but like, what level do I want it? Do I want to be yeah. pushing around divisions and like looking at all of the French coasts or do I want to be playing squads, you know, trying to get up on the beach or something like that? Yep. Then you may want to look at ATS or I don't know if ASL has yeah. Omaha Beach Center or not. But uh, And then the other thing I would say is, and this isn't always possible, but find someone to teach you. I mean, it can be yes. intimidating, but... There, there's probably someone you know that is already playing one of those games and enjoys that game and wants someone to play that game with. Find right. that person, let them teach you. Yes, and make sure it's the game you want to play. Yeah. <laughs> or just have them teach you a game again because it's something that people say you should play. Yeah. Uh, nice. Uh, well, now it's time for the show where we talk about other that are not all the other nonsense going on in our lives, which uh, Farish and I. Seem well, to we be get quite we get to we get to blend into it because we can talk about the GMT update. So that's a yes. that's a good transition. Well, I was going to ask you: Are you drinking? Are you drinking anything tonight? And well, not anymore. I finished it, but I yeah, had bourbon. I mean, yeah, nice. I've got I, that's kind of my go-to lately. As I put bourbon, they've got this uh, diet uh, cranberry ginger ale. Okay, I, I mix that with bourbon, and I, interesting. It's really good. Okay. Uh, so I am having bum, 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 a Civil Life American Brown Ale. Nice. It's so delicious. I think it's my last one. Oh, no. I know. If anyone's coming, if I'm going to see anyone from St. Louis, I'll trade you Kansas City beer for anyone who may hear this message. Yeah, and that's a good plan. I mean, that's just a good plan in general. You guys have good Boulevard beer, but we can get that here, so it's not like yeah, it's, but I, it's see, hard to get, but... Boulevard beer is good. There is there's other Kansas City beer as well. Stockyard, Martin City, yeah. all kinds of good stuff. All right, let's talk. A uh, let's years talk ago, G- you gave me something with like uh, a dog on that was, it. That was, that really was Martin good. City actually. That okay, was, that's right down the place for me. I'm in their beer club. I get four six packs a month from them. It's pretty great. Nice. Uh, yeah, let's talk GMT update. Uh, so what do you think? Because I haven't even looked at it yet. Um, well, I mean, there was nothing like super groundbreaking or anything, nothing that like immediately made me, you know, throw my wallet at the screen. Um, but there was some new stuff coming out that looked interesting. Uh, I think the one that we're both most interested in is there's a new coin four pack game coming out. (laughs) (laughs) A a four pack? Yeah, it's called, I think it's called the British way. And I think it's going to be like four coin games in one. Wow. Yeah. That's ambitious. I mean, like, that's cool. Like, I find that exciting. Like, it's not something I would get. Right. Uh, but that's cool. Yeah. Oh, they're very small maps, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, kind of like, you the, know, uh, like that quad you know. game that Decision put out. I think it was Decision put out a year or two ago. You know what? I would try this. <laughs> Here After you go. everything I just said, <laughs> this is these are two-player coin games yeah. on very small maps. I would play this. Yeah. I would not buy it yet. But you uh, play it. That's good enough. I would try this. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I understand what I just said. Like, I'm not going to like the actions, but, like, some of these maps look small enough. Like, maybe that condenses the actions to make what you're doing. This is a complete shot in the dark. But if it streamlined the thing so your actions are not so choppy, like, move, let the whole board state change. I was going to attack, but now I can't do that anymore. Like, if this streamlined some things, I'd be interested. There you go. That's all I'm saying. There you go. I won't. I won't buy this. So the one that I did think was the most interesting is uh, Downfall. So it's a it's a two player game about the end of World War II. So one player plays Western Allies, one player plays the Soviets, and I don't know exactly how it works. The Germans are still on the board, but I guess it's kind of a race to Berlin kind of game. Looks oh, is it? This is uh, Chad Jensen game. Yeah, must be his last game. I'm assuming. Yeah. So I didn't realize this. I knew that they had one. They teased that it was a Chad Jensen game, but John Butterfield is actually the one that finished this. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Oh yeah, I have to give this one a closer look. Yeah. I see here that, and I think Mike mentioned this before the uh, the announcement came out, uh, which is the new mission pack for right. Last Hundred Yards. Yep. Yeah, because he's been. I saw him post a few places. They're like, "Yeah, you got to have the uh, got to have the base game in order for the mission pack to do anything for you." Yeah, um, which I think means having both. Like you can have either airborne or the base or the first volume. But it looks like here, to get the full use out of this mission okay. pack, you would need both. Yeah, and then I think he's going to do more mission packs later for the. The, the Pacific stuff, Solomon oh, Islands. Oh, man, so. Solomon Islands is going to be so cool. Yeah. If, if you're coming to Historic Fest, ask Mike about Solomon Islands because... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll talk about it. I love oh, yeah. hearing him talk about his game. Yeah. Uh, let's see, anything else interesting from the update? Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of new P500s. You know, they got their, their teases of stuff that's coming later, so... All right, knows? what's what's shipping soon? That's what I should keep an eye on because... Yeah, that's what's really important. Absolute so. War, MBT, and the Normandy 44. And the Simonich game, I think, is about to ship. Uh, Vietnam is not in that shipping soon. It's like a next step at the printer or something like that. So Yeah, so end of July were those three. 1846 yeah. is out. Yeah, I got um, that one. I've got that under my table over here. Yeah, let's see. MBT I don't think I'm... second printing, which I didn't get, but... Hmm. Yeah, I'm ready for Salerno. Yeah, Salerno. Oh, Pacific War is another one. And U.S. Civil oh, War second yeah. printing. I, is, yeah. Yeah. I think those are all at the printer, though, right? It says going to the printer in August. Pacific War, Vietnam, and U.S. Civil War all going in August. Okay. I don't know what that means, though. I mean, I'm hearing all these horror stories about, like, shipping rates going through the roof and yeah. packages taking forever to get here from China. So, who knows? It'll who get here knows? when it gets here. Not okay, like, well, It's there... not like I don't have anything to play until then. <laughs> there you go, folks. There's Matt and Rich's live look at the GMT update a few days after you've already seen it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And when they listen to our archive episodes, it will be yeah. interesting for them to listen to this six years from now. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Nice. Uh, there's probably some other stuff in here that I'll take a look at later. I, I think I saw the email on Friday. I was just swamped at work, and then it completely mm-hmm. escaped my mind. Yeah, they tried. Right. To, I'm pretty sure they tried to do it right before we do an episode. I think so. I think so. Although you say that, um, <laughs> and this this is on me. I'm not blaming them, but our logo is not at the bottom of this this update. That is true. 
but again, they ask for them, so it's not. I'm not like I'm not <laughs> bitching in any way about it. But so they are in sync with us, and they do that intentionally. Yeah. And I th- I think to mask that they don't put our our logo down. You just bottom. need the right number from them to get our logo at the bottom of their page. I must must so. Oh wait, there's an email here that I can send. <laughs> huh, maybe I should do that someday. That's all. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's talk about nonsense, which right. we've been doing all episode. Ah, uh, nonsense. So I th- I I talked about this game, um, and and we're gonna we're gonna get into this because this is gonna real quickly turn into the uh, uh, old gods of Appalachia fan podcast real quick. Yeah. But yeah, that'll be um, our next podcast for sure. <laughs> don't even tempt me, Richard. So okay, <laughs> yeah, I listened ahead. like all the way up to the end of the first season, and it was so good that. I I told my wife how good it was, and we started listening to it again. So nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, here let's just go with it. So, <laughs> well, no, I'm gonna give a little background. So I've I've always had an interest, but never have done a deep dive into uh, Lovecraft um, backstory or anything like that, uh, or like lore or fiction or any of love. But just the Lovecrafting horrors are super fascinating, right? All these old gods and different cults in the time period, super cool stuff. So, and like every now and then I get a wild hair at my butt and our cult Cthulhu game had cycled back up and I started reading, um, the HP Lovecraft historical society, their audiobook. Yeah. And they do a killer job. So I'm listening to that. My Cthulhu interest is an all time high. I played this game Cthulhu death may die, which we may talk about. We may not. And so like it was Cthulhu, Cthulhu, Cthulhu. I couldn't get enough of it. And I, I think I looked on Reddit like best Cthulhu podcast or something like that. Cause I've been listening to voluminous, which are all of HP Lovecraft's letters and they're fascinating. Okay, cool. My, my favorite one, um, is actually a recent one where he's talking about, um, uh, curry and like cats like Marie and, and Curry. Oh, the spice, <laughs> the spice and like having and uh, like chili con carne and stuff. And this is like HP Lovecraft and stuff <laughs> and how much he likes spicy food. But like, really the point is like they made it and like his spicy food is not what we think spicy food is. Like there's no spice at all. And anyways, it's just super interesting to like hear this, these letters and hear these two guys kind of analyze them. Mm-hmm. All that being said, <coughs> I go like, I'm going through these letters. I'm I'm reading and I'm like I want more because like if I get even a passing interest in anything, I go balls deep and I can't help it. So naturally, I say, all right, what are some other good Lovecraft uh, podcasts? And someone said, Old Gods of Appalachia. Holy smokes! Yeah, it's amazing. It is, and it another reason it's amazing. So Old Gods of Appalachia is a fiction podcast, which I don't like. People, that is not. I've tried a couple other fiction podcasts before. Not my cup of tea. Yeah, like the guy that's reading it wrote these stories from scratch. Yeah, I think he writes most of them. And his name is Steve. Steve something. I can't remember what it is now. It doesn't matter. Uh, It's just Old Gods of Appalachia. And it's all so far has been these Cthulhu-esque Lovecraftian elder god monsters set in the Appalachian Mountains. And this guy has this amazing, like, I think he's from North Carolina. 
and but he's got this just southern draw and he tells the stories like the production value the music the 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 creepy vibes the background noise is all just like top notch stuff oh yeah it's perfect and his southern twang is just his name's steve shell yeah oh it's so good folks and they're they're bite sized and the and score, so, the storytelling and i mean not just not just like his voice and the sound and everything, but the way he weaves the stories together. Because there's, there's several different characters, but it's not that many. It's like a handful, six, eight major characters. And he tells their stories, so like he'll flip back and forth through time and go back and tell this person's backstory. And it's just all so well done. Right. Not only is the production value fantastic, not only is his voice perfect for the setting, not only is the setting interesting, the stories are good. Yeah. And again, I don't like this kind of thing. This isn't what I want to <laughs> spend my time listening to, but I can't help myself. The other day I was driving to work and I was disappointed. Like my mind was on another thing. And normally I'll just like drive and, you know, blank out the whatever I'm listening to. But, like, I stopped listening, which made me disappointed because, like, I'm not focused and I don't want to miss any of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you have you gotten to the Wolf Sisters yet? The, no, the three we're, parts we're still oh, so we're, good. We're at the very end of season one. So, OK, so yeah. after because, like I one, said, I got there and then I went back and was listening to my with my wife. So I didn't want to go on without her. We're just going to continue forward from here. Nice. So after season one, there's like a three-part side story called The Wolf Sisters. I okay. loved it. It's it's uh, probably my favorite so far, but like I love it all. And there's only 30 episodes. And season one is uh, like 12 episodes, something like that. And then uh, the side stories. And then there's the rest of season two up through season 30. So there's not a huge backlog, so you'll blow through this in no time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, I've stopped listening to other yeah. stuff. But the first thing you want to do is, like, whatever podcatcher you use, like, tell it to not delete when you're done listening because you'll probably want to listen again. There's, it's so good. I want to buy all their T-shirts and their perfume and <laughs> everything they have for sale. Do you know what's crazy and, like, awesome for them? They have almost 4,500 patrons a month. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. It seems like... I saw they've got like, you know, a Facebook page and a website and everything. And it seemed like they had a, a pretty active group of people. Seems like a, it seems like there would be a lot of discussion. Like every time a new episode comes out, like, oh, crap. Did, did, what about this guy? And what about that thing that happened and stuff like that? So it kind of lends itself for that. Yeah. And then like podcasts will get a little, you know, like culty followings and stuff. Like, yeah. gosh, when my favorite murder took off, like the amount of people that support that show just even yeah. just like fans being fans like i mean it blows up and then you get groups within groups and all that stuff but oh my brother my brother and me they've yeah, got like an empire sure right right i cannot recommend this podcast enough folks even if you don't like fiction stuff it is so good yeah ah, that's it <laughs> i mean look might as well pack it up now because it doesn't get better than old gods of appalachia so I played Cthulhu Death May Die is what started the gods <laughs> of Appalachia chain. It's fun. It kind of turns Cthulhu on its head like you're not dumb investigators. Like, you know Cthulhu's coming. You're trying to get, a, like, the Elder Gods on the board so you can go punch them in the face. That's and a like minis my, board game, right? 
Yeah, kind of like in the same vein of Mansions of Madness, yeah. the the fantasy flight game. But you're very much more built for combat. So like, I was a shotgun wielding nun, and my wife like, um, she was I don't even remember who she played, but she ran into like a room full of like six Cthulhu monsters and the King in Yellow just to get one more attack in. And then she died a terrible death, so then I ran in and, like, killed him, and that was enough. And it was yeah. fun. My wife doesn't like those kinds of games, so I'll only play it with other people, not her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just kind of like with a lot of the Call of Cthulhu-esque games, you're kind of like, oh, you're investigating. What is this? Oh, no. Like, if something bad comes, it's very hard to stay alive. Yeah. Right. And it's right. hard to stay alive here, but also you are kicking ass, and so it's kind of fun. Yeah, I haven't played that one. Like, I would only... I don't necessarily recommend it because it's a big minis game that takes up a lot of space, but if it's like, if that sounds like your cup of tea, if you like the Cthulhu stuff and you kind of want to be like more action, kapow and got, like your character yeah. levels up pretty easily. I've got a friend here in town that buys every one of those, like Simon and all those mini games and everything, so I know that I... I I'd bet anything I have that he already owns this, so I could go yeah. play with him if I wanted. And the mini- the minis are great. They're cool. Uh, so you bought Irish Gage, and then you played it. What did you think? I did, yeah. We played it, too. It was fun. I mean, it was simple setup. It was, you know, um, it kind of reminded me, I don't know, maybe it was just because, like, the, it. so it's a cube rail game, I guess, but in uh-huh. this case, it actually had little trains, so it kind of reminded me of Paris Connection, just because of the way it looked, and similar i mean you know you you buy stock in railroads and you know you try to build the railroads and everything so um yeah it's it 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 scratched the itch that i was looking for which was something between ticket to ride and 18xx so yeah it was good nice i own that one no i own it and like we will play it eventually i just haven't had the right yeah audience to play with because i think it came out last year yeah, it's fairly new, um, which is why I mean it's like it's only like forty dollar game, but when I saw it pop up for fifteen bucks, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna pick that up. Yeah, I would like to play it. I just haven't had the. And it plays it quickly. I mean, the rule book is literally one page front and back. So. Oh, okay, it's good to know. Yeah, so I have a confession to make, folks. Uh oh. I um, well, I mean, you guys all saw this like when I went ham into warhammer <laughs> which i still am very much like very much intend to we're supposed to play in august i can't wait it's gonna be great i look at my minis they look great in the sense that they're not done but like can't wait to play them um so my brother came over and there was a new DD magic the gathering set and so like that sounds awesome because it's got all this old DD art it sounds cool so just came out last week right yeah, think, it's kind of been like trickling out. Yeah, over I think the, last... the release day at Miniature Market was the same day that we were there playing our game day. Well, so they had the pre-release. Oh, okay. the release for everyone was Friday, this Friday, the twenty-third. Oh, okay. The pre-release was the week before, which is like a limited release of product of different things, and so like it's got a whole bunch of like old school D and D art. Which I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll get a, a few packs and just see what I get. But then my brother came over. And he, I like told him I got the packs. He's like, oh, we play what's something called Commander. And that sounded cool. So I bought a pre-constructed Commander deck. I said, hey, I got a Commander deck. Uh, why don't you come over and uh, show me a thing or two about it? And so we played. And it was my first like in-person face-to-face Magic the game since like 2004, 2005. I was in high school. My brother was still in high school. 
uh it was a blast like i had played a lot of magic the gathering arena last year during covid and that was fine and that's just standard magic 60 card deck have you ever played commander do you know what commander is i've never played magic the gathering even oh okay so magic the gathering has been around since 1994 right mm-hmm. um 20,000 cards since then, I think, is what the number is. I think there are a 100, if that, and I'm just talking to my ass here, cards not allowed in Commander. Otherwise, like if you're playing in a modern tournament or whatever they call it, you're only limited to like the current release of cards. Like right. You can't go pull a card from 1994. Right. I knew in that. Command- in Commander, just about every card in Magic history, with some exceptions, is available to you. But you can only have one of each card in your deck, and you can't go below or over. You have to have exactly 100 cards. Okay. And so it that makes like for, a big like... deck. Is that normal? It is It is big. Okay. And that's kind of like what... And it's four... The best way to play is a four-player as well, which we're supposed to play four-player on Tuesday. Because then you throw in politicking, like, hey, someone has got to deal with Richard because he's got this badass monster that is going to, like, spawn 80,000 guys and kill all of us so hey greg you better do something now because i can't or it's like hey if you don't kill me this turn then like i'll take care of greg for you richard or something like that you know Mm -hmm. and so in four player mode you got that going on and then it's just like you have a hundred cards to go through but you're still trying to like really fine-tune these decks but like with 20 thousand different cards to pick from like you can come up with like wild different strategies that are just as viable and it's not competitive Okay. There's no, I think you could do like store tournaments, but I don't think there's like a competitive tournament scene because there's a hundred cards because it's so random and there's yeah. so much politicking going on. So I think it's a lot more casual, like while things are going to happen anyways. So that's been absorbing a lot of my free th- time lately. Nice. Yeah. When I was, like I said, they had their, I guess it was a pre-release last Saturday while we were at our game day. And the, the guy was playing with labyrinth. He goes, uh, he goes, just remember, the reason this store is open is because of the Magic the Gathering players. <laughs> He's like, every little, uh, obviously miniature market is bigger, but right. them too. But like every little game store is kept in business by Magic the Gathering. Yeah, I've, I've often heard that. Like you need something, either whether it's minis or, because like uh, Tabletop, which is one of my two game stores that I primarily go to in Kansas City. Although now you should probably count Spanky's Card Shop to that list because i've been buying my cards from spanky's card shop so one of three uh stores i go to like they need to have something like that and so like tabletop doesn't do magic cards but they do warhammer minis Mm -hmm. and so i think i think you're right and i and i know a lot of comic book stores are the same way is like the used magic card business probably there's probably more profit to be made than like on a whatever you're seeing on a big, you know, asthma day game. Yeah. Also like oh, a card takes up hardly any space. Right. And I don't know, does miniature market sell individual magic cards? Uh, I think they do because when I okay. go to the counter, I, you know, it, it seems like there is a bunch of cards like under the, the cash register counter. Yeah. Okay. Because I think I looked on their website and didn't see them. Maybe they don't have them online. I mean, I may have been looking for some things, but I know Cool Stuff does. Like, Cool Stuff has a huge um, magic side to what they do. Yeah. So it's been fun. And, like, I'm just going to stick this way. 
and uh, play with. Uh, there's a few of my my brother and his buddies do this thing. And so I'm going to do that. So if anyone wants to play uh, Commander, I've got a, a few different decks and we can do it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Anything else going on? Uh, no, not really. I put the hockey expansion draft on here, yeah. but then it ended up like... I yeah, mean, they made a big deal out of it. And I think I think the people that like watched it thinking it was going to be an event turned out to be disappointing. I yeah. didn't watch it or anything. To me, all that really mattered was who they took from the Blues. So, Yeah, I just looked at the results afterwards. I didn't watch it live, but even looking at the list, I didn't think like, whoa. It, did, it does not look like a good team to start. Right. Like So from the Jets, they took Mason Appleton, who is a player that has potential. Yeah. Um, but they've been saying that for the Jets for the last two or three years. Like, Mason Appleton, Mason Appleton, like, isn't going to happen. Like, to me, the most interesting pick that they got was actually um, uh, one of the players. So, like, the guy they took from the Carolina Hurricanes definitely could be um, someone with potential. It was a guy that the GM of the Kraken drafted. Mm -hmm. But he also didn't – he didn't work in the playoffs. Like, so I'm fine with that. Yeah. They took a guy named Brandon Tanev who is with the Penguins now and when he was with one of the when he was with the Jets he was one of my favorite players like he's just a scrappy guy you know one of the like third or fourth line forwards that just like works his ass off. Yeah. And so like I think he's a third or fourth round like four, third or fourth line solid pick. But like looking at their list there's no one's like wow they got you know that guy. Yeah. And there were a few guys I mean I know there's reasons but like they could have had Carey Price. You know, right. they passed on Vladimir Tarasenko. There were other right. big name guys that they passed on. The so. Tarasenko wave was surprising. I yeah. mean, they could have had Nino Nina Ryder from the Canes. Yeah. He's got an expensive contract, but that's not a bad pickup. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, from the like, Blues, they took Vince Dunn, who, you know, Vince Dunn is one of those guys. He has a nice highlight reel because he has some impressive stretches, but for every one of those, there's three times that you're banging your head against the table going, dude, <laughs> have you ever played defense in your life? <laughs> if you plop down the Kraken roster as it stands today and compared it against the Knights roster as it stood at the end of their expansion. Draft, right. Yeah. Like I'm picking the Knights. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because if I, I'm, I'm looking at the roster now. And um, they, the biggest name, in my opinion, is, um, oh my gosh, is Yanni Gordon, the the Tampa Bay Fort. Yeah. Outside of that, no one's like a big star or, you know, like with, with Vegas, they got flurry and it, that was like a big deal. Yeah. And I wasn't even super following. They had David Perron who was already good and is still good. I mean, he's one of St. Louis's best players. He came back yeah. to us. So, right. Yeah. And I know there were some other trades like just based off of like Trevor Van Reams, like didn't stay with Vegas, but they, they drafted him from the Blackhawks and traded him to the Canes. But even then, like looking at this, like James Neal, Flurry, um, William Carlson, like those are all good players. Cody Eakin was a, a pretty decent player. Who'd you just say? 
the the blues guy Perron. yeah oh Perron no, for vegas like yeah. i just think the vegas team would kick the the kraken's ass oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean a lot most people in st louis assumed that they were going to take tarasenko and not even keep him but trade him yeah and they didn't so he's still yeah. a blue i mean he's he said that he be- wants out of here but uh basically the gm came yesterday and they're like well we're not going to get robbed you know if we find a good <laughs> trade we're going to trade you and if not you're playing here buddy yeah well the canes have and then like the draft was on friday and today and so the Canes had a Calder finalist, which for those that don't follow hockey and are still listening at this point is best goalie. Um, now he's a guy that still has a lot to prove. Um, but you trade away a Calder finalist for a second round pick. Yeah, that's what they did. What do you and think they you're s- going to get with that too? <laughs> right. Because the, so we got the rights to an, a restricted free agent goalie who's not very good. And then, like, you think you're going to re-sign Peter Mrazek, but maybe you don't because he's an unrestricted free agent. And, like, yeah, okay, maybe Mrazek's a little more proven, but Mrazek will never be a Calder finalist. Yeah. And, like, Ned will be. So, like, at first I was like, okay, like, Ned's unproven. Like, he sh- he was really good in the COVID year where everyone's playing the same team 30 times out, of, you know, every day during the season. Um I think he has some really soft spots. Like, I don't think he was going to have a repeat solid year as good as this year, but like, you got to do something. Yeah, I can, I totally get, I've, we've seen that happen before where a rookie goalie can look amazing and then fall off. But there's a difference between covering your bases and just like trading them away. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause now right now we don't have a goalie. Yeah. And it's like, and so then we trade around our first round, trade away our first round pick, which again, it's like a weird year. You don't know how people are. I get it, but Holy shit. Like I assume that the Ned trade was going to be to land someone big. It's just not happening. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's a few minor moves. The Blues picked up uh, Bushnevich from the Rangers, but there hasn't been any big blockbusters or anything. We'll see, see what happens. Yeah, well, I think I think there's still there's still time. Like yeah. right, like I think now that so free agency starts on Wednesday, and so that's when I think things will happen. So yeah. I hope we're signing a goalie, but I I don't know what goalies are available. So. So, anyways, there's your hockey talk, folks. I have no idea what the Canes are doing. Because the Canes are kind of like, they're in a win position right now. Like, they really are. They've got a great roster. So, like, trading for more draft picks right now, which is exactly what they did. We ended up with tons of, like, second and third round draft picks. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We should be trading for the pieces that we need or, like, which now is a goalie because we just traded ours away. So. Yeah. Anyways, I'm not sure where the Blues are right now. Remains to be seen. It'll be nice to have the regular divisions back next year, though. Yeah, yeah. So I do, I do think the Canes will re-sign Dougie Hamilton. Um, which is, if they don't, I think the people in Carolina will burn the stadium down. But there you go. That's hockey talk. All right. Anything else going on? <sighs> no. Only thing going on for me is looking forward to going to Casey next week. I'm. I'm taking Wednesday off work too, so I've only got two days to work this week, and then hey. enjoy my weekend. Hey. What day are you guys driving down here? Uh, we're gonna come up first thing Thursday morning, and we're gonna go to World War One Museum. 
Thursday. Nice. And you you have your tickets for the Dan Carlin deal? I do, yeah. Nice. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, if you uh need any recommendations or anything, where to eat, what to do. I sounds will. like you're sounds like you got it under control, but happy Yeah, to I don't know where I'm eating yet, but I figured uh, I'll ask you. You can give us some places looking for nice. looking for barbecue across the board cuz I've heard that you guys are almost as good as uh mm. <laughs> Seattle or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's what I've heard. <laughs> Nice. Uh, yep, folks. So, um, wanted to do this episode before Historic Fest. We'll have a recap. Uh, I'm sure Rich is going to be live tweeting the heck out of the combined game. We'll take pictures. Maybe I'll do a little live video on on Twitter over the weekend. Um, should be a good time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Uh, well, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, let's plug all the things. So. Um, if you have any questions or concerns, you can shoot us an email, historytablepodcast at gmail.com, historytablepodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at historytablepod. I think the Instagram the same thing. Uh, Rich, you're on Twitter. Trapeer Jr. for me. Trapeer nice. Jr. There you go. Uh, Rich has another uh, project. I can't call it the side project because you were doing that first, but uh, you can check out Chance of Gaming. <laughs> you can also check out, if you join our Discord, you can join the conversation. Uh, just ask me for a... Uh, an invite, whatever. It's not really private. Other people can invite too. It's just not a permanent link or something like that. Uh, you can go on and check it out. You can go. Uh, there's a little self promotion deal. I've put a bunch of links up recently to all the people in our our Discord that that do different things. Um, got a bunch of different uh, you know podcasts and YouTubers and bloggers and what you may call it's hanging out. Or you can come out and talk about the uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas, if that's your cup of tea. So uh, you can do that. There's a YouTube channel. It's there. I'll circle back to it when we're not as busy. It's something I still want to do. Tell us some more about tiki drinks. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I'm <laughs> looking forward to relaxing with some tiki <laughs> drinks when uh, next week is, was, is over. So, All right, anything else? No. All Can't right. wait to see you next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, folks, everyone, be safe out there. Be smart. Do what makes you uh, feel safe and all of those things. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> Good night, everyone. everyone.